This weekend is what we call a standalone weekend, which means I am invited to preach about anything I want, which is kind of scary. <laughs> and so this weekend, we're going to look at prophetic dance in the Old Testament. <laughs> and I'm going to demonstrate it for you. <laughs> no, I'm not just messing. Would you pray for me? Because I'm in a bit of a naughty mood today. Finding Our First Love is the title. We're going to turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, Finding Our First Love. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is Jesus speaking. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not You've discovered that they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. And many of you know that Kay and I spend uh, quite a lot of time traveling. I just got my mileage statement from United Airlines, and it's like two million miles just with United. That's why I look like I do. I'm only 23, but all this... All this travel. And so because of all that travel, we have certain routines that we like to implement when we get back home. Like we come out of DIA, and the first thing to do is check that you're driving on the right side of the road. This is uh, a good thing to do. Second thing to do is pick up milk on the way home, because we have to have milk for our tea. We've got to drink tea. Not iced tea, that's demonic, hot tea. <laughs> and then the other thing, and it's a, it's a condition, it's an anxiety thing, and I'm serious. Uh, I've looked on the internet, there's people who suffer from this, and I do. I have this postage anxiety, mail, mail. I have to open the mail. I've got to do it right away. And, and so if we've been gone a while, there's this huge pile of mail, you know what I'm going to say, there's the junk mail, and it's that big. There's the bills, they're that big. And there's the interesting stuff, it's that big. But I have to open it right away. My wife, Kay, is, is, is different. Uh, she likes to stare at the envelope and see if she can guess <laughs> who it's from. Does anybody else do this? And, and, and you're, you're, does anyone do that? And, and she looks at it and she studies it and she turns it over and she goes, I wonder who this is from. And I say, honey, here's a suggestion. Open it! <laughs> I mean, if you've got postage disorder, we should start a club. I'll, I'll send you a letter and you'll open it immediately, won't you? I, I know you will. The, the root cause of my anxiety is, what about an unpaid bill that I missed? What about taxes that I've messed up on and the IRS want a little conversation? What about a, a speeding ticket? I get anxious when the letters arrive. Imagine this. You get a letter... From Jesus. And you're like, 
Whoa. What's in here? In looking this weekend at the book of Revelation, we're turning to a letter from Jesus, and it's about Jesus. And as we look at the book of Revelation, we turn to a book that has been massacred by preachers. And therefore, it is much neglected, which is tragic. Too often, the book of Revelation is seen as a confusing timetable for the second coming, which it is not. It includes truth about the coming of Jesus, but that's not the summary of it. Broadly, it is a prophetic drama, a poem written to encourage Christians who were having a hard time. They were spread over a 200-mile, square-mile area in western Turkey. They were suffering persecution. Many of them had been beheaded. Some had been crucified. The Emperor Nero, crazy guy who would plant live Christians in his gardens and set them on fire as illuminations. I'm sorry to stain the gathering with the news, but the guy who says, if you follow Jesus, it will all be easy. I don't know where he gets that one from. And now the Emperor Domitian, an egocentric maniac who liked to be addressed as my Lord and my God, was now on the throne of leadership in the Roman Empire. And so these Christians are struggling. And many of them are giving up. And so this circular letter is written, meant to be read aloud to the churches. It's a bit odd because it says, write to the angel of the church. Why would you send a letter to an angel, and what's an angelic address? Well, most commentators believe that the word angelos in this sense simply means messenger, the person who carried the message. And actually, John the Baptist, who didn't have wings, he was a messenger, and he is called angelos in the Bible as well. So that's probably what it actually means. The Apostle John is the human writer. He's probably 80 years old, maybe even 100 at this time, and he is the last surviving apostle in exile on Patmos. And now Jesus uses John, helps John, to not give a letter full of words like the Apostle Paul. Sometimes you need a book and sometimes you need a DVD. And so the book of Revelation is a picture book to stir the heart, the imagination, and the hope. It is not about beasts and barcodes and timelines and trumpets. It's about Jesus. And here's the reason why. When you're really in trouble, what you need to know is that Jesus really is alive and is all-powerful. You could murmur an amen, amen. if you would like. He's not silent in Revelation. He's speaking. He's not powerless, but he's the Lord over death and hell. That Domitian guy, he is all-powerful. When his son died, he made coins portraying his son playing with the stars. But in the book of Revelation, it is Jesus who holds the stars in his hands. He is not distant, but he's close, walking among the candlesticks. He's not ignorant of what's going on. He says, I know, he is not subject to chaos, but he is the Lord of history. It is tragic that the book of Revelation is so neglected because it contains this vital truth about the bigness of God. Think about this. At this time in history, 
The Apostle John knew more about Jesus than anybody else on earth. You say, how can you say that, Pastor Jeff? Let me qualify it. He was one of the first to be chosen. He's the last surviving apostle. He's the writer of the fourth gospel. He is the witness to the miracles. He is part of the inner cabinet of Peter, James, and John, that inner circle around Jesus. He is the only one of the 12 at the cross. He is the one entrusted with the care of Jesus' mother. He has seen Jesus in his transfiguration, Jesus in his crucifixion, Jesus in his resurrection, Jesus in his ascension. He has intimately been friends with Jesus, resting his head on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper. But there's a missing component, and he's 80 years old, maybe 100 years old, and there's something else he needs to see. And the man who put his head on Jesus' breast, when he sees this Jesus, he falls at his feet as dead. Because the Jesus that he sees is not a baby. He's not a crucified criminal. But the Jesus that he sees is risen and alive and mighty and powerful and glorious. And I'm getting excited. What we need... can hear my wife when we have lunch today she's going to say bit shouty Jeffrey bit shouty <laughs> when we're in trouble and we're afraid and Jesus appears to John and says don't be afraid you don't need a cliche or a slogan from a preacher you need a fresh insight and revelation that there is a God who is bigger than all of the chaos and all of the political shenanigans and backwards and forwards. He is mighty. But there are challenges too, because you see, Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, and he doesn't just encourage them. He says, this, I, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. And I've been, the reason I'm preaching this sermon I prepared this sermon this week because I've been looking at those words and wrestling with them. And I thought, hey, if I'm wrestling, let me pass it on. Because <laughs> I decided to follow Jesus 45 years ago. And I'm, I'm asking, do I still love him as much? Or am I, have I drifted into meandering through a life vaguely tinged by innocuous religion? Have I lost my spiritual passion? You say, but you're a pastor, so you can't. A military strategist said, the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. We know that passion changes the world. The philosopher Hegel said, nothing great in the world has been accomplished without passion, and God wants us to be passionate about him. Be never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, says Paul to the Romans. Christianity makes a terrible hobby. C.S. Lewis said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. And so this weekend, I want to invite us to not just leave this when the amen happens at the end of the service, but take the bulletin home with you and work through it and think about action and also, as we think about first love, let's know that first love is not first faith. I don't want to go back to my first faith. My first faith was naive. It was full of cliches and slogans. I don't want to go back. 
but do I still love him? So, let's turn to the bulletin. And as you look at the bulletin, some of your hearts are very afraid. <laughs> so let's dive in. The first point is this. First point, don't be discouraged when the sermon has 10 <laughs> points. I told you I was feeling naughty, see? Don't be discouraged. Just can, fear not, little flock. All will be well. See how quickly we did that first point. Point number two. Love for God and others is God's priority. Love for God and others is God's priority. There's so many things that were great about the church in Ephesus. They, they were working hard. They were discerning theologically. In Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul had prophesied to the church in Ephesus, savage wolves are going to come in. And the prophecy was fulfilled. There were false apostles that had infiltrated the church. And discernment had kicked in. This was good. So they're working hard, they're discerning, they patiently suffered. But God says, but you don't love me as much as you did. And by the way, most commentators believe that that statement includes love for others. Theologically, that's correct. You can't say you love God and hate your brother. There were four splits in the church in Ephesus at the end of the second century. They argued about bunches of stuff. They argued about what day you should have your weekly gathering. Are we busily serving but not loving God? Are we saying we love Jesus but it's not evidence in the way we treat others? Number three. Number three, don't confuse passion with feelings. Don't confuse passion with feelings. Repeatedly, in the years that I've been a teaching pastor here, I've talked about the fact that I, I spent a year in clinical depression. And I felt bad because I felt bad. And a friend really helped me, and may this be of help to you if you are in that battle, because we need to talk more about mental health issues. Friend said to me, your feelings are not the barometer of your spirituality. Man, that liberated me. Sometimes being a Christian is not exciting. Sometimes you just hang in there. Neil Anderson said, have you ever tried to start feeling love again? Have you ever, have you ever fallen out of love and then tried to will the old feeling back? Jesus, he says, does not tell us to feel love. What does work? Well, start doing the things you did when you were in love. If it's your partner, start dating again. If it's your God, start thanking and praising and believing and trusting, rejoicing and worshipping. He said you can behave your way into feeling much faster than you can feel your way into believing. It's not about feelings. Kay and I have been married now for, for 40 years. We've been celebrating that this year. But we went out for dinner recently and I said, honey, I just need you to know that I'm in this. As, as long as it's exciting. <laughs> and, and, you know, I appreciate the four decades. You know, that's it's pretty good. But if this stops being exhilarating, I, I'm off. <laughs> so funny looking at you guys. <laughs> Some of you ladies, you can't help yourself. Your eyes are narrowed right now. You're like, that boy needs a slapping. Of course I wouldn't say that. And I can't say that of Christianity either. There are, there are moments of great joy and excitement. There are other times 
when the Roman Empire guys come knocking at your door, that's not exciting. There are times when it isn't exciting and it's not about feelings. Number four, number four, express broad worship sacrificially. Express broad worship sacrificially. There's a story in Mark chapter 14 of a woman who came to Jesus and poured ointment, perfume on his feet. And the religious people around that situation freaked out. Do you know why? It's because that perfume was valued at around $20,000 in today's money. And everyone said, that's so wasteful. And Jesus didn't rebuke her, but affirmed her. I'm not going to talk too much about this today because we're going to cover some of this in our upcoming series. But let's worship God sacrificially. Worship is not a spectator sport. Let's sing. Let's engage. Let's worship. How many people here drink Dr. Pepper? Any Dr. Pepper fans here? God bless your heart. And God help us too because it's carbonated prune juice and that's scary. Oh boy. Imagine going to a Dr. Pepper convention. You don't like Dr. Pepper, you've never drunk Dr. Pepper. Maybe you're feeling a bit prejudiced about Dr. Pepper, but over here is Brother Bill, and he's singing a song about Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper has changed my life. Amen, amen, cries someone over there, headbutting a tambourine. <laughs> you might think these people are weird, but you'd also think maybe I should try that Dr. Pepper. And when people come in here, when they get around people who are celebrating Jesus in our worship, our worship's directed to him, but we are prophesying to them also about his goodness. Let's worship. Number five. Number five, let's know that spiritual passion is not just for the weekend. Spiritual passion is not just for the weekend. It's not just about praying more, reading your Bible more. He said to a Jewish person, how's your spiritual life? They wouldn't know what you mean because the whole of life is intended to be spiritual in the Jewish worldview. It's the biblical worldview. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus. I know Leviticus is not your favorite book. You haven't got a Leviticus text on your refrigerator, have you? I know. But in Leviticus, worship includes administration, legislation, tending the soil, caring for the animals, harvesting the crops caring for the widow, welcoming the refugee. It's all part of worship in that worldview. The Christian who says, Sunday is Sunday, but Monday morning, business is business, is missing it. And God, I'm going to go as far as to say, on good biblical support or with good biblical support, God hates it when we sing loud and live completely contrary. Look at what is said in Amos chapter 5. I hate, this is God speaking, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. It's the whole of life. Rowan Williams is the former Archbishop of Canterbury with almost supernatural eyebrows. <laughs> and he said, 
He said a religious life is a material life. It is a fundamental mistake to consider belief itself as more or less exclusively a mental event. It's not just about this idea in our heads. It's about the whole of life. Number six. Number six, share your faith strategically. Share your faith strategically. Last weekend I was in San Diego, California, speaking at a great church there. The church was filled with tanned, beautiful people. Utterly irritating. I mean, I've never seen so many gorgeous people in my life. When I got up to speak, I, I made an announcement. I said, God has sent me here to bring a balance of ugliness to your congregation. <laughs> a few people even said, Amen. That was really rude. <laughs> Went out for lunch after the service. Uh, with the guy who was driving us around uh, different, to different services. And we go into this restaurant, and the server comes up to the table. Hi, he says, can I get you some ice water? Yes, please. And then the guy from the church who's driving us around, he says to the server, he said, um, he said sir, are you a Christian? And I'm, I'm, I flinched. I'm like... kind of crass, isn't it? Like, a bit up front. And the server, his, this lovely guy, his face lit up. He said, yes, sir. He said, I'm a Christian. He said, but I haven't found a church yet. And this guy says, well, why don't you come to our church? You'd be really welcome. And here's the address. And this is Pastor Jeff. He's been preaching this weekend. And he'd like to give you one of his books. He donated one of my books. challenged because I used to be like that I, I used to have a big badge you know that said something subtle like hello you're going to hell something like that <laughs> but now I got quiet I was challenged and I you see a faith share doesn't just benefit the person you share it with when you share your faith you ignite your faith so I came back to Fort Collins we went out for breakfast the other day I thought I'm gonna try you know, these things don't turn out well for me. <laughs> You're right. Lovely server comes up to the table. She's got a tattoo about God. I said, hey, I see the tattoo about God. She said, yeah. I said, are you a Christian? She said, no. <laughs> I'm like, beam me up, Jesus. <laughs> and she was really sweet. It didn't turn out like last week. But are we sharing our faith strategically? Number seven, consider your availability. Consider your availability. Can God still surprise you? I've told this story before, but I want to share it. If you don't believe there's a God, brace yourself. And if you think that God is predictable, brace yourself. A little while ago, Ken and I watched a TV series which starred a very famous actor. If I shared his name, which I will not for pastoral reasons, you would know his name. Every one of you. We watched this TV series. A few weeks later, one night I went to bed. I had a dream. I dreamed about him. And I dreamed that he was making an announcement, a press release about an older lady who was in this series who had passed away. And he was issuing a press release about how sad he and the rest of the cast felt about losing this lovely lady. I woke up, I thought, that's weird. I went back to sleep, I dreamed it again. I, thought, I woke up, I thought, that's weird. I went back to sleep, I dreamed it again. 
God, you see, God knows I'm pretty thick. So he probably says to an angel somewhere, give him the same dream three times over, you know, he'll get it, you know, he'll get it eventually. So it's three o'clock in the morning, 10 a.m. in England. I go into my study at home. I pray. What's going on, God? Pray, Google. Pray, Google. So I got on Google. I put the guy's name in. He had just issued a press release about the elderly actress that I dreamed about who had died an hour earlier. So while I was dreaming that she was dying, that she died, she died. And he was giving a press release. And I'm sitting there going, this is freaky. So I said to God, what's this about? Because I don't have enough faith in coincidence. So I said, what am I supposed to do? And I felt like God said to me, and I'm not one of those Christians who hears from God endlessly, but I felt like God said to me, make contact with him and tell him that I love the people that he loves. I'm like, what? First of all, make contact? There's five or 10 million people on his Facebook and Twitter accounts, and I'm going to get on there and go, hello, I'm in Colorado. I had a dream. <laughs> I'm perfectly normal. And then what about the message? I love, God loves the people that you love. Whatever happened to repent? And I, so I sat there, I remembered that a distant friend of mine knew this guy before he got famous. I sent him an email. I said, I've had a dream. I felt like I should pass this message on to this guy. Are you still in touch with him? He comes right back. He said, yeah, I'm meeting him for coffee next week. I said, all right, share this. Tell him I don't want anything from him. I won't even make contact with him ever again. I'm not some weird stalker, but just pass the message on. Ten days later, I get an email back saying, I shared that word with him. He was speechless. And he's just said, thank you very much. And I go to the grocery store here in America and I see the guy's face on the cover of a magazine and I think, I wonder what God is doing with him and I, I kind of want to make contact again, but I promised I wouldn't. But here's the point. Have we got God so boxed up that we're not available and he can't surprise us? Number eight, monitor your weight. See, some of you are not offended yet, but you're getting ready, aren't you? It's true. Monitor your weight. In England this summer, we, we had lots of these clotted cream teas. You ever heard of those? Clotted cream tea, you take a scone or a scone, depending on if you're posh. You put butter on it, then you put jam on it, then you put this thick cream. They give you a coupon for the emergency room when they serve it to you. And so since getting back, I've been on the scales. I don't like that. Look at what Hebrews 12 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. This has got nothing to do with physical. This is to do with that besetting sin that we say, it's okay. But if we're going to get back to first love, there's some decisions to take. Number nine. Number nine, respond to obstacles with faith and prayer. 
Are we still doing that, responding to obstacles with faith and prayer? When I was a young pastor, church planted, we used to meet in a community hall back in England in this uh, area we were serving in. And a piece of land came up and we wanted to buy it. So I contacted the city council and they said, you can't buy it. We will not have a church there. And so I got our 40 or 50 people together and we marched around the land seven times. I don't even know why we did that. It just seemed vaguely biblical. And we asked God to give us the land. I called back the next week, spoke to the city council. I said, we, any, any movement on that? You said last week we couldn't have the land. They said, yeah, we met again. We decided that you can have the land, but only on the condition that we will sell it to you at 25% of its actual retail value because you're a non-profit. Would you consider that? <laughs> I'm like... Let me think about that. Yes. <laughs> but that was 38 years ago. So is prayer, when an obstacle comes up, is that my first resort or last resort? Last thing to consider is this. Number 10, know that passion can be dangerous. Passion can be dangerous. Sometimes when Christians get passionate, they get scary. They get arrogant. They get hijacked by one issue. They run around fixing everybody else, or so they think. Don't be like that. Ben Franklin said, if passion drives you, let reason hold the reins. Well, let me take you to Ephesus today. I've been there. It's an amazing thing to see used to be the fourth largest city on the planet. 250,000 people lived there. They had some great leaders in the church there. The Apostle Paul ministered there. Timothy, his protege, he led the church there, first bishop of Ephesus. The Apostle John ministered there. But here, is, here it is today, that's the library. And that's the temple of Artemis, one of the ancient wonders of the world, all in ruins. And here's the, here's the road, the beautiful road that used to lead down to the harbor. But these days, the sea is six miles from the land because the gulf of Ephesus got silted up. And the harbor is useless. 25,000 seat theater. And it's all in ruins no Christians around as far as we know in a moment we're going to pray we're going to pray that God will show us if this letter applies to us you say well Christians aren't persecuted 170,000 Christians died last year around the world because of their faith things aren't so different Do we love him like we used to? And it's also an opportunity if you're not a follower of Jesus. Here we are, 10.59 on a Sunday morning in Colorado. This could be your moment. Say, I, I want to know him. I want to follow him. Let's bow our heads. We thank you for your magnificent love for us, Lord. 
And we invite you this week to do a work in us by your Spirit and stir our hearts afresh if our love for you has waned. We don't want to just be busy, theologically astute, even faithful, but we want the heartbeat to be a love for you. May that love for you affect the way that we do Monday as well as Sunday. If you want to become a Christian or you want to come back to God right now because you've been a long way off, I'm going to pray a prayer. I invite you just to whisper it right where you are. You're making a big choice. Lord, I come to you. I want to follow you. I turn from the way that is my way and I intentionally turn to you now and invite you to take charge. Show me what it means to love and follow you. Forgive me, thank you. That forgiveness is available because of all that you did on the cross. Thank you that your power is available because you are raised from the dead. I put my trust in you. Thank you for hearing my prayer.